you know, you've heard from others on what, um, if they came to a church and they found something more, what would it look like? Well, let me just share a testimony with you from um, a Dr. Badena Kumar, and um, he's a professor, and uh, in giving his testimony in, in the pulpit one Sunday morning, he said this, I belong to the Hindu faith, but was really a non-practicing Hindu and fed up with some of the rituals and things. He says, Leslie took the risk of marrying me when I was an unbeliever. She actually went against the scriptures, he says, to marry an unbeliever. So uh, do you know um, who the risk taker really is in the family? After our marriage, she asked me if it would be okay if she goes to church. I really didn't care. And all, I, all that mattered to me was she was, had been gone, she could have gone to a mosque for all I cared. So her church going restarted, and I was the loving husband. I used to drop her off church every Sunday morning and pick her up from church after the service on our bike. I was always, I always used to drop her outside the church premises. In the meantime, she was quietly garnering prayers for my salvation. And the church, folks started to come to our home fellowship and just talk. Nobody really shared the gospel with me. If they had, I would have probably fought them off because I was a real hard nut to crack. Probably they guessed that as much and left me to myself. However, this breaking of the ice with the church folks coming to our house and encouraged me to join their post-service fellowship when I used to reach a little early uh, time picking her up from church. This is really what started to notice something different. I started noticing there's something really different about these folks. I'm not saying everyone was different because as in every church, there were folks who were mere churchgoers uh, versus those who were really true believers. But there were enough true believers in the church whose behavior aroused my curiosity. The way they handled issues, the way they faced what sickness and the way that they resolved conflicts, the way they hoped for all, uh, all looked ahead to the future and it intrigued me. Again, remember, it's not everybody, but one particular family lost their teenage son to a bike accident. A bus knocked him down fatally while he was riding his bike. And the manner in which the family faced their trauma, and more importantly, how the parents met the bus driver, forgave him, brought healing to both themselves and to the driver, really touched me. My logical conclusion led me to suspect the church service to be the reason for their different behavior. So I decided to sit through the service just to find out what makes the difference in these people. That led me to study the word and ultimately led me to accepting the Lord after eight long years of resistance and arguments and doubts and study. Of course, the persistent prayers of Leslie and her church members acted in the background to make that change possible. The reason why I wanted to share my conversion story this morning is to emphasize the fact that it's the behavior of some Christians that attracted me to Christianity. It is the Christ-likeness that I saw in some of them that led me to study Christianity and eventually accept Christ. Just one testimony of a man now in the ministry who said he was touched by the way that people lived outside the church walls. Now, we said, if we're going to be a church that has something more, and people look at us and saying, wow, you know, I'm really looking for something more in life. I, I feel like something's missing in life. I think I'll try Cross Life Church. Why would they do that? Why would they do that except they've seen you out in the public 
eye and they've been attracted by something there. Some of you remember, not many of you, but some of you remember the old department stores that had the mannequins out front and in the window, it's called window shopping. You go through window shopping in a downtown area and you see these beautiful dresses and outfits and uh, maybe a chainsaw or whatever in the, in the uh, window. And you think to yourself, wow, you know, there's something in the store I want to check out. And so you go into the store. We are, we, we are the displays out in the windows to the rest of the world. They're looking and saying, how are you responding to difficulties in your life? How, how do, you, do you have joy? Do you have peace? What's happening in your life? Now, it's true, as I said last week, that you, you and I expect ministers, pastors, to walk the walk. If we don't, the whole foundation cracks and you're just not going to have much going on. But the real difference is not necessarily the pastors of the church as far as the community is concerned. I mean, we're sort of, they think we're sort of paid to act that way, you know? And, and you're not. And so you get out in the community, at your jobs, at your schools, and they think, wow, you know, there's really something different. I think I'm going to check this whole idea of Christianity out. And we went over that last week, and we said, you know, it's, it's really the lay leaders of a church that's really going to be that coming attraction or that window dressing for get people to come in and say, let me check out Christianity. Now, I've shared this little diagram with you before because it's one of the diagrams we use all the time. It's called the concentric circles of involvement. And as we show this to you, there's five different levels that you can see on your screen. One, community crowd, congregation committed, and lastly, in the middle is the core. Now, a lot of people would say, hey, don't share this because you don't want to, people don't want to know where you put people. I'm not putting people, people anywhere. You know, this is an opportunity for you to kind of size things up and say, well, where am I in all this? And so you have the community. Those are the people outside the church. They may come every once in a while, but really they're part of the people that we're really trying to reach for Christ. And then there's the crowd. There's the people that come to the church and they're committed to coming to worship. Uh, not anything maybe beyond that, but they are committed to coming to worship and participating in the worship service. Then you have uh, the congregation. Those are the people who have joined something. They've committed themselves uh, in, a, in a much deeper way. They've taken ownership of something. It may be that they've joined the church and now they're regular attenders, or it could be they joined a small group and they're regular attenders but they are the part of the church of the congregation. Then the committed. Those are the ones that are committed enough to say, I'm willing to get involved and do something in ministry, in service for something. Maybe it's once a month, once every two weeks, usually maybe every week, and they're the committed. Then there's the core. Those are the people that <clears throat> lead the ministers. They are the ones that have risen up to a point where their maturity in Christ, they go out and they are the primary, not the only thing, but they consider the primary things in the church that would be the, uh, the coming attractions, as we've said before, making the church attractive. Because you say, oh, that's a deacon in the church. You know, you know he teaches a small group in the church. And so you hear those things people talk about because of the leadership. Now, I, I ask you the question, where are you in this right now? Because the people that really, the closer to the center you are, the more impact you have in uh, an organization. The closer you are to the middle, the more input you're going to have as well. And you're going to be involved when the spirit really moves. You hear all kinds of things in the church that's going on. And a lot of people say, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. I come every, every week and I don't know that. 
Well, you know, sometimes you know, things don't spread. You know, sometimes bad gossip spreads better than good gossip. But a lot of times you're involved. You're there when the spirit is really moving. And so leadership does make a difference. And leadership has its great privileges. At the same time, leadership has its challenges. And that was the case with the Apostle Paul. As we look at this passage, I recall meeting when I first moved here. I was here probably pastoring about two years, maybe three. I was on a panel discussion with two other gentlemen, Ted Trailer, who recently preached our Global Impact Conference, and Ken Whitten, who also came in one of our Sunday night uh, series of messages recently. And they asked Ken the question, how would you describe in one word leadership? And he said, service, being a servant leader. So what does that mean? And what does Paul tell us we need to become, we need to check on ourselves as far as really being that servant leader. Well, as we open up this passage in 1 Thessalonians, we started going through this book last week, and we talked about how Paul had just come out of, just to give you a little background, Paul in Acts chapter 16, and that's the historical background of this, uh, this church at Thessalonica, in Acts chapter 16, uh, he was involved in jail for preaching the gospel, and in Philippi. He was miraculously uh, rescued from that. And so he and Timothy and Silas then went to Thessalonica. Well, the persecution kind of followed there. There's a lot of people that, that were against, they were opposed to the gospel. Therefore, since they were opposed to the message, they attacked the people. And pretty soon after three weeks, only three weeks in this city, Paul and his, uh, his companions, his partners in the ministry had to leave. They had to flee for their lives. Now, in the meantime, what was happening here is that those people who ran them out were saying, aha, you see that? They're just charlatans just like the rest of them. Now, why would they say that? Because keeping in, keep in mind, keep in mind, there was no church there. There was no uh, somebody coming in, Paul, like Paul saying, well, you know, there's not a real gospel preaching church there, or there's not a, one that does our style of music, and there's not really one that does our style of preaching, and I think we need another church there. No, there was no church there was no message. It was all news to these people. The only, the only news they had were people that were passing through and giving them uh, little tidbits of what happened over in Jerusalem 20 years before, less than 20 years before. And so they had no church. So they're walking into a situation, and three weeks later, the, the Jewish people who were the leaders back then were against this gospel, and so therefore they persecuted them and they ran. And they, they, they used it as a point of accusation. They said, see, just like the rest of the charlatans who come in, and we'll find out from the text here in just a moment, they come in wanting your money. They're con men. They want your money and they want your women. And then they flee town before you could catch on to them. And that's who Paul, Timothy, and Silas were. Now, you and I live in a culture where you really, if you're a pastor, it's not really cool to defend yourself. It's really not. You know, we, Billy Graham was a perfect example of an evangelist who was accused of all kinds of things and talked about in a negative way and his motives and all that, never defended himself. But when you look in the Bible, you'll find Jesus defended himself and Paul over and over and over again in different letters defending himself. Now, why would Paul do that? Because if he did not give his side of the story, the people who received this letter at Thessalonica would have not read the letter. Some of them that really trusted Paul would have read it and said, whoa, this is great stuff. But a lot of people would have said, yeah, you know, he's just a hypocrite. 
You know, everybody says, so I've heard that. There's speculation out there that he is. And so I'm not sure about Paul, so I'm just not going to pay any attention to it. So he had to defend himself or others were not going to hear his message. Now, in this defense, in these next few verses, we will find out five things that we need to check out that are very, very important to becoming a next level leader, servant leader in uh, the world as well as the church. Let's look at them. First of all, I want us to see, the fact there's five things here, motive, attitude, action, purpose, and courage. First of all, you got to check out your motive, the motive of a servant leader. Look in verse one of chapter two. He says four. Now he says this over and over and over again in the the scripture. Verse three, four. Uh, Verse five, four, we never came with words of flattery. And then we look uh, over in um, verse nine, for you remember, verse 11, for you know how, and verse 14, for you brothers became imitators. Four, four, he says, he's explaining himself. And he's really coming back to chapter one in verse nine, where it says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception you had among you. Now keep in mind, a year later, Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica and said, boy, I've heard some good things about y'all and I wanna hear more. So what's going on? So Timothy has brought back this report. The book of 1 Thessalonians is a response to that report. He says this in his report, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This is what it was all about. Now, the Jewish people that were saved back in Thessalonica, most of them were Jewish background, did not worship statues. He was talking about idols of the heart. He says, you've turned from the idols of the heart, from worshiping your, your family, your job, and your career, and your talent, and, and money. You've turned from all that, and you've turned to the living God. Therefore, he says, you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you is not in vain. He says, we had a ministry among you. We, you know that God blessed it. You know that God was doing something great there, and our motives were pure. Now, notice he says, he says, you know. He said, you yourselves, no. He, this is another key phrase in this passage. Verse one, verse two, verse five, verse nine, verse 10, verse 11, you know me. He's saying, you, you know who I am. My biggest defense is that God blessed the ministry and you know me, you know who I am. He goes on to talk about it. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, you know we had boldness. We, we came, we came for wanting more. Hey, we got released from jail. We were all fired up. We came to Thessalonica to do the same thing. Disrupt things, yeah, but disrupt it with the gospel. He says, and to our God, to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity. This word impurity comes from immorality. This was the charlatans. He was referring to the charlatans that were coming in, preaching a false message, whatever their message was. Sometimes it may have been about Christ, sometimes not. But he said, thereafter, immoral behavior from the people in your city. I am not that. You know I wasn't that. And nor did we attempt to deceive. We didn't try to con you at all. You know that. But just as we have been approved by God, to be entrusted with the gospel. God saw fit, he says, to call me his apostle, and he entrusted us with the gospel message. So we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. 
He was saying, you know, we weren't people pleasers. We weren't trying to water down the gospel at all. You know, ministers are probably, you know, I think we admit that many of us are people pleasers. We want everybody to be happy. But you can't lead a church if you have to have everybody happy. You know, you just can't because you can't make everybody happy. And if you have to be loved, you can't lead. You can't lead your family. You can't lead some of these teenagers that, that want your leadership. If you think to yourself, well, I, I've just got to have my, my son love me and I can't say no. I've got to be her rescuer. I've got to be his hero. I've, I've got to, you can't lead if you have to be loved. And Paul knew that. He said, you know, I don't have to be loved. He says, I want you to receive this so you can receive the message that I have for you because you can't please everybody. It's like the, it's like the, uh, uh, the grandfather story of the old, the old story of the grandfather and the son going to town, buying a donkey, and, and now they're going home. Well, the son, the little boy, the grandson's riding the donkey, and the man, the grandfather's walking, and he hears people talking along the road. Look at that little boy. He's making his old grandfather, who can barely walk, walk while he rides a donkey. And so they thought to themselves, yeah, that, this is not right. And so the old man started riding the, the donkey and the young boy started walking. People started saying, well, look at that. That, that, um, young, that uh, man is riding the donkey and he's making that little boy walk. Well, they thought to themselves that that's not going to do. And so neither one of them rode the donkey. And people were saying, man, they sure are dumb. Man, they got a perfectly good donkey. Why don't they get on it and ride it? And then they started both riding it. And people started saying, that poor donkey. Look at that. Those, he's just, they're just weighing him down. And so pretty soon they just decided they'd carry the donkey. And they carried the donkey, came across a bridge, tripped, slipped. The donkey, they all fell into the river and died. And so you just can't, moral to the story, you can't please everybody. You just can't. And Paul knew that. He said, I, I wasn't trying to do that. I had a mission in mind, and we'll come to that mission and that motive here in just a few moments. But he says, I, I wasn't that people pleaser. What was he saying? Verse five, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is my witness. He's saying over and over and over again, you know me, you know me, you know me. You know me. But we know sometimes, but we don't know. You know, I remember a, a time when we changed the name of, 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 our, of our church. And one of our members was in another state, ran across a pastor that, that knows me and, and I know. We're not close, close friends. But uh, in fact, he used to say when he was pastoring here in Florida, he would wait to get our newsletter to find out what we were doing so he could do the same thing. All right? So that kind of thing. And he came up to our member and said, hey, I heard Dwayne Mercer's gone liberal. Now, he means theologically liberal. And, uh, and the member said, what are you talking about? So, well, change the name of the church. Must be going liberal. So, no, we just did that to make things more inclusive to people. We're not just ministering to one brand of Christians. We're trying to minister to everybody. We're trying to kind of explain it, explain it a little bit. And uh, he said, uh, oh, okay, well, maybe that's all right. You know, the irony to the whole thing is, two years later, they changed the name of their church. <laughs> Took the denomination out. In fact, they, they don't even resemble the same name. So, I was telling this story to a, a friend of mine because he said, well, how'd that name change go? And I said, well, you know, some people didn't, didn't particularly like it. But I said, what really kind of got to me is, is some of the pastors, you know, and I told him this one story. I, I think I left out the name, of course, but, but still he, he said, well, that guy was from Florida. And I said, yeah. I said, did he know you? 
He said, I said, yeah, yeah, he knows me. He said, I can't believe that. He knows you. He knows you and think after all those years of preaching the Bible and even standing strong on the uh, errorless Bible and errancy of Scripture and doing all that, suddenly you're going to change overnight? I said, yeah, I guess he did. You see, he knew me, but he didn't know me. You say, what do you mean? Paul was saying to them, you know me by my actions, but you cannot, you cannot examine my motive. You know the favorite verse in the Bible? According to them, I mean, I'm not talking about inside the church, outside the church. The favorite verse of the Bible, you'll know it when I say it. Matthew 7, 1. What does that say? Judge not that you be not judged. Now, what do people mean by that? People are saying, look, I know I'm doing something wrong, but don't look, me, look at me in the wrong way. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But listen, there's, there's difference between judging, by the way, and being the jury. Judging someone, you judge by their actions. Then when you see how they're acting, you don't say, well, look at that hypocrite. Oh, my goodness, I'll never have anything more to do with them. Man, I can't wait to go tell Susie or James or John all about this guy because, my goodness, look at, I mean, you know, shooting your, our own soldiers, you might say. No, we, we judge them by their actions and say, wow, there must be something going on in their life. Maybe they're not even a believer. I need to pray for them. I need to find out what's going on. Now, you're judging according to their actions. The Bible says that we are to judge in that way. It, it demands that we do and have discernment. But we don't question someone's motives. Nietzsche, um, uh, Nietzsche was one that believed that no one ever had good, good motives. In fact, if Mother Teresa and he were alive at the same time, he would have looked at Mother Teresa and said, the only reason she gets people out of the street that are dying or dead, and the only reason she ministers to the lepers is just get famous. He would have questioned all of her motives. He would question every pastor's motive because he believed the only thing that people wanted was power and authority over people. Now, we tend to look at motives as well. And the Bible tells us, don't judge. Don't judge people's motives. That's, that's what it's talking about. And so he's saying, look, you know me, but you can't possibly know me. You know my actions. Judge me by my actions. Because you cannot look on a person's heart. Then we see, in fact, let me just sum that up by saying this. We need to question our own motives just as though, just as now we tend to question other people's motives. Stop questioning theirs, but we need to question ours. And of course, Paul was all about that. Secondly, the attitude of a servant. Look in verse six. He says, not only the motive I want to look at, he says, in defending myself, but I want to look at my attitude. I had a good attitude about this thing. Nor did we seek glory from people whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles. He says, look, I'm an apostle. I've got a right. I, 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 have, I have a right because uh, I can demand those rights. I'm an apostle. I'm called to a special place. Only 12 guys, 12 men were ever apostles. And so, therefore, I'm entitled. And I've preached against entitlement all my life. And even in the church today, we, we sort of have that. Somebody says, well, look, I paid the price. I was this, I was that in the church. I, I deserve that position. Why do you deserve it? Because I paid the price. I'm entitled. I'm entitled to, we, we had a guy years ago, I mean, it was not too long after I came here, that left 
uh, as our youth pastor. He went to a bigger situation, and we had an intern here. And I know that he was naive. I know that, and I tried to talk to him. Uh, he had very little church background. He only been um, uh, um, um, probably a, a Christian for about a year. He had been uh, involved in our youth ministry for about six months, and he really built with all of his heart, believed that he deserved to be the next youth pastor. No theological education, no education at all as far as biblical education. Been a Christian about a year, six months as an intern, and he'd done a good job. But there's no way that he was ready for that position. But he was offended. Why? He was entitled. He was just entitled to it. Paul says, I'm not entitled. I work, I work, I work for God, and I'm entitled for nothing. He had what? He had a humble spirit. That's what he had. The Bible says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. How did we receive Christ into our heart? We did that by humility. God, I'm, I'm not entitled to salvation. I am, I am not one that has earned my salvation. In fact, I'm not even the kind of person that says I was raised in church, therefore I have one up on everybody else. I didn't, I didn't quite need as for, uh, much forgiveness as the next guy. No, I came to the cross humbly knowing that one sin was enough to condemn me forever. And I needed a savior. I needed someone to rescue me. And I came humbly at the foot of the cross. Well, we do that the same way we serve. The same way as a servant leader. Humbly before the cross. How do you test that? Well, how much do you pray? If we don't pray enough, and times I don't pray enough, and there are times I realize, hey, I'm, I'm dependent on myself too much. How do you treat those who are, quote unquote, beneath you? You know, the server in the restaurant. How do you treat the custodial worker in your building at work or at school? How, as a high school student, middle school student, do you treat someone who has not grown up as much as you, who kind of gets bullied a little bit, who's not as smart as you? How do you treat that person? When we were, I, I was meeting with a couple of pastors, and I know Hayes Wicker was there, and maybe, uh, maybe a couple other guys you might know. But anyway, Hayes was there, and um, we were in Lakeland, and meeting there for some kind of convention. And the uh, server came to our table, and we just asked her, we said, you know, we're about ready to pray. I don't do this all the time, but sometimes I do it. We're, we're about ready to pray. Is there anything that we can pray for you for? And immediately, I mean, usually somebody will say, well, let me think about it, you know, maybe. Immediately she said, yeah, I feel so invisible. We said, what do you mean? She said, well, as a server, I go to these tables, and people just keep on talking. And they're talking about intimate things. They're talking about things I shouldn't know about. But they don't stop talking. They just keep talking. It's like I'm not there. I feel in this job. I just feel, and tears came around. I feel so invisible. How humble are we? How do we treat the people around us that socially are not as high up the ladder as we are? Jesus said, have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. It says he humbled himself, being found in the human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Well, we looked at our motives. We looked at our actions. We're getting a, getting a little personal here, I know. But also now, uh, we looked at our attitude rather. Now we look at the actions because Paul says, look, just judge me by what I've done. Notice the compassion of his heart. Verse 7. 
But we were gentle. Oh, man, that's a key word. We're just gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Now, I don't care what you say. Motherhood's tough. You got a job outside and you got a job at home, it's, it's tough. If you got a job just at home with the kids, it's tough because it's the same thing over and over again all the time. You heard about the guy that um, maybe, um, maybe you've heard of an insurance salesman. He has one line. He knocks on the door, person opens the door, and he says, uh, he has, says to him, are you planning to live forever? I'm trying to sell a little life insurance. Just news you can use, you know, if you're a life insurance salesman. Just thought I'd help you out. And uh, so he knocks on this door, and uh, this lady opens the door. She has a, a child in one hand, a one arm, and runny nose and crying. Got another one crying, pulling at her leg. And behind her must be 10 kids back there throwing things around, fighting. Just chaos going on behind her. And he doesn't know how to respond to this. So he just uses his, his backup line. Do you plan to live forever? And she turned around, looked at everything. She says, not on your life. <laughs> Motherhood's tough. He says, we're like a mother nurturing you. We're, we're like that mom. So he says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you. We were ready to share with you the gospel of God. He was gentle. There was compassion as they were sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ there in verse 8. Then I want you to see not only his heart, but I want you to see the message that he had. Beginning in verse 8, he says, I'm preaching the gospel. But then he says, but also our own selves, because we have become very, you become very dear to us. We love you. We love you. And we're, we're sharing the pure gospel with you but we're giving our own lives as well. We're just giving it our all. Everything that we have in this. Verse nine, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that he might not be a burden to any of you. What is he talking about here? A burden. He says, we, we didn't ask for a pay. That's why a lot of pastors don't preach, I guess, through the book of First Thessalonians. I always wondered that. And uh, he said, we, we're, pay, we're, we're, we're preaching here for free. But he said, you know, there's a difference. Every situation is different. This is the mission field. Keep in mind, they had no idea how, how to lead a church because there was no church. There was nothing. And so Paul and Timothy and Silas uh, and others relied on the churches in Jerusalem and other places like missionaries to support them. He says, we came to you and we even supplemented our offerings by working at night and, or during the day as we preached at night or vice versa just to serve you for those three weeks. He says, you know this, we gave all of it. Then I want you to see the conduct of their lives. Very important here. He said, for you remember brothers, our labor and toil we work night and day and we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Now you know us, you know this is true. Now, these people are saying something, but you, you know we've proven ourselves. And not just where you are, but you've heard about us, people passing through town. For you know how, like a father with his children, a father back then was a nurturer. He was, a, he was an educator, a protector, provider. He says, we, we did things like a mother and a father, like a parent. For we exhorted each of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Listen, if we're going to charge you to do that, you think we wouldn't do it ourselves? Who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. How did he do it? He did it through service. 
He served him. He was a servant leader. He didn't have any, any claim. He, he didn't have an affinity to try to con them in any way. He didn't, he didn't go for that. He, he just served. Now, I know everybody has a different language of service. Some people feel like, you know, Paul should have, uh, you know, helped cook the meal. Or Paul should have helped sweep the floors or set up chairs like in a mission church. And, or visit the hospitals. You have the same thing with a pastor. You think, if a pastor really loves me, he'd visit the hospitals, and I'd do that some. Or if the, if the church really loved me, they would do this. If the pastor, boy, if he was gonna be kind of one of us, you know, maybe he would, uh, you know, cook the hamburgers at an outing or, or, or have everybody over to his house and all that. You know, I, I don't know. You know, it's like the love languages of Gary Chapman, if you ever read that book. And he has a great conference on it. And uh, he, he, yeah, he's still living. He's still, he's still kicking. He's an interim pastor right now up in North Carolina. But um, he says different love languages in a couple. You know, some, some, you know, here's a man that goes to counseling with his wife, and he says, you know, I've been giving her flowers, and I've been doing this, I've been doing that, I've been giving all kinds of gifts. And, and it turns out that was not impressive to her. She wanted him to vacuum the, the, the carpet and, and fix things around that acts of service. And the same thing for him, just a lack of communication. Well, everybody also has kind of a thing, or you know, how an evangelist ought to act or how a pastor ought to do. Let me, let me share with you. Let me just share with you. I'll stop loving you. You'll know that I've stopped loving you when I stop studying the Word of God all week so I can bring you a biblical message on Sunday. Because that's my calling. That's, my, that's the job that I have to do above all other kinds of jobs. And it does take a lot of study. And he says, look, just look at my actions. One writer said, it's like this. Paul's sum summarizing. He said, if you wanna have the kind of actions, the attitude, the motives, take a risk of sharing your soul. Put away all deceit and exploitation to renounce man-pleasing to be done with flattery and covetousness, to feel tender, mother-like, and affections, to be holy, righteous, and blameless in your conduct. Well, we, la we then, fourthly, get to the purpose of a servant leader. And it's just real quick here in verse 13. And we also thank constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not only the word of men, but from, really, it's the word of God, which is in work in you as believers. How do we know that? Because of verse nine of chapter one, you've left the idols and you followed God. He said, when we preached this to you, it was a blessing to us because you received it, not just as something we're saying, but you received it as the word of God. What was Paul's purpose? What was his passion? It was to see people receive the word of God, not to preach the word of God, you know, you hear about these guys, oh, I just love preaching. I just love to preach God's word. You know, sometimes we, we need to ask ourselves the question, do we love the people that we're preaching to? Paul loved the people that he was preaching to. And he says, man, it, it, just, it just blessed my heart knowing that you were receiving the word as the word of God. And what was happening? Fruit was coming out of the vine. Can you imagine a church where a, a church planter goes in for three weeks, leaves it, and it's a thriving church. That's miraculous. No believers there, except for the new ones. And they had to rise up in leadership very, very quickly. They had, they had fruit out on the vine. And sometimes you don't know. I know there's seasons. You know, we preached about this before, but there's seasons of fruit. There's winter time, most, most states. 
there's wintertime. And uh, you don't bear fruit during wintertime, but you do during the spring. You never know. Let me share this story with you real quick. Uh, boy, it's, it's just precious. We were back in another building, and um, this is a um, guy came up to me and showed me uh, his baby. He and his wife showed me their baby, and it was years ago. And uh, they said, well, this, this baby's really special. I said, yeah, it is. He said, no, no, it's really special. So we came here um, uh, a couple of years ago. They'd moved off now. They'd come back. So we moved here a couple of years ago. And what happened while we were here was that my wife got pregnant. We were newly married, and I wanted her to have an abortion. And she didn't want one. And we wrestled about it. She cried about it. We fought about it. Finally, she just said, look, uh, if we go down to this church on the corners, our church, we'll go down to that church. I've heard it's a good church. Never been here. We'll go tonight. Why night? I don't know. Maybe that's when we, she thought we just met. So we did have a nighttime service. Let's go tonight. And if God doesn't speak to us in any kind of different way, then I'll get an abortion on Monday. This is great. So they came to church that night. And there are three times that I had preached on a certain subject in 25 years being here. Three times that the whole sermon was just about that. And it was about abortion of all nights. They couldn't believe it. They looked at one another. He, he knew he wasn't set up. He saw the look on her face. She said, he said, after that, we came for a few weeks before we moved away. And before we moved away, we, we received Christ. And we decided to keep the baby, of course, and here it is. You never know. But, hey, that's not the end of the story. The reason I bring this up in this illustration is because a couple of weeks ago, um, he wrote me a letter, an email, an attachment to it. And the email reminded me of the story. And he says, I just wanted to send these pictures. And it, it was, actually, it's a video, a video of now his teenage son getting baptized following the Lord. Amen. You never know. You never know. Paul didn't know. Paul, Paul went back and said, Timothy, go find out what's going on. He was astonished at the fruit that, that was being born. Lastly, you've got to have the courage. It says in verse 2, we had boldness. In verse 14, for you brothers became imitators of the church. You're suffering many things, your own countrymen, as, the, as, as we did. They had the courage even in the midst of persecution to stick with it. Now, you're, you've gone out into high school, and you know that when you witness, you share Christ with someone, that person not really probably going to persecute you much anymore. They know that you care about them. But there's so many people that know high school, business, they know what you stand for, and they laugh at you behind your back. They ridicule you a little bit. They give you a hard time. Maybe you feel like you're not getting the promotion that you feel like you deserve. But I can tell you this, when they stop listening, you think, you think they're not listening, they are still watching. And they want to know about the hope that is within you. They're passing by the window, and they don't want anyone to know that they're looking at the outfits in the window and the different tools in the window. They really don't want to sit there and stare at those diamond rings. But they just sort of go by and glance. And they're glancing at you. And we've got to have the courage to say, I'm going to step up. Those people at Thessalonica, the church at Thessalonica, had the, had the um, courage to step up. And that's why they had a church there. 
What about us? We show these concentric circles again of involvement. Uh, where are you right now? Where are you? Are you in the community, in the crowd, in the congregation? If we can show those guys, I'd really appreciate it. The community, the crowd, the congregation, the committed, are you in the core? Where are you in that? You say, well, I'd like to step up. I challenge you today. Step up. You're in the community. There you are. You know, you're just, you're just stopping by once in a while. Why don't you just commit yourself to saying, I'm going I'm to start coming to this church and find out what God's doing. You're part of the crowd. So I'm going to join. I'm going to join a small group. I'm going to join the church. I'm going to get involved in some way. And maybe you're already a member, but you're not committed to doing any ministry. So well, I'm going I'm to step up. I'm going to do a little bit more. Or I've been in ministry. I've been doing things for a long time. Now I want to become part of that core. What is God speaking to you about today? Because I tell you, they wanted something more. You want something more, and the something more is the next step for you. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you say, well, I, I don't know. I, I, I know I need to receive Christ. I know I need to do something in my life. And, uh, and right now, I feel like the next step up for me is to receive Jesus Christ into my heart and life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I ask you right now, if that's the prayer of your heart, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. I'm going to ask you to pray with it silently, perhaps, as I pray out loud. If this is really the condition of your heart, if you say, I, I, want, to, I want to step up and just humble myself and receive Jesus. I want to get started in all this. I've seen the window dressing. I've seen the coming attractions. I know that people in my life live for Jesus sincerely. I want to be part of that. Pray with me right now, silently, as I pray out loud. Lord God, thank you so much for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for my sins. I open up the door of my heart and I ask you to come in. Forgive me for everything that I've done. Make me the person that you want me to be. Help me to step up. Help me to have the courage to take a stand for you. Help me to have a, the courage to, to walk with you, to not quit, to endure. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.